Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, September 15th, 2022. It's been 3,121 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 204 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. The situation is so dynamic because of the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, Izum, and Kherson, our report will likely be out of date within the hour. But at some point, we have to hit publish. So let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russia's stature on the world stage is increasingly damaged due to its inability to honor Article 4 of the CSTO agreement with Armenia and China pledging to protect the sovereignty of Kazakhstan. Second, the information vacuum from the Kremlin continues to paralyze military leaders within Ukraine, with rumors of imminent Ukrainian offensives rampant. Third, Russia's attempt to disrupt the Ukrainian counteroffensive by destroying a dam on the Inulets River has likely failed. The dam received moderate damage, and quick action from Ukrainian engineers mitigated the potential crisis. Fourth, we maintain the continued Russian offensive on Bakhmut Solidar is pointless and will not provide a tactical or strategic victory. Further, Ukraine appears to be actively targeting the supply lines and command and control bases behind Russian lines in the Svitlodarsk area. Fifth, we assess that Ukraine's decision to stop their advance at the Oskil River was prudent, despite Russian troops reoccupying abandoned positions in eastern Luhansk and on the Russian frontier. Sixth, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender, with multiple reports of at least some units already negotiating. Seventh, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse with their available resources. Eighth, there is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the, quote, special military operation fails, the Putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval that could result in government changes. And finally, regrettably, our assessment that war crimes would be discovered in Izum was correct. We maintain what has been discovered up to this point is only the tip of the iceberg. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. 
Ukraine's leaders continue to maintain tight operational security and provide limited information about the ongoing counteroffensive in Kherson. There were no further reports or discussions about units surrendering in Kherson today. We will continue to monitor the situation. Ukrainian forces occupied Kiselivka, about 15 kilometers north of Kherson. An earlier report from Russian state media showed that troops from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, had abandoned the M14 highway checkpoint. Blachodatne, which is south of Posad Pokrovsk, is also under Ukrainian control. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Russian forces attempt to advance on Ivanivka through Arkhangelsk with an understrength company of light infantry supported by a single tank and two infantry fighting vehicles. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Arkhangelsk was shelled, likely before the ground attack. The advance was unsuccessful, but based on the intelligence, we adjusted the map and coded the town as contested. The town of Ivanivka was shelled after the failed advance. There are unconfirmed reports that Ukrainian forces were able to complete their push to Pruskinsk, severing the T-2207 highway, a vital ground line of communication, or G-lock, those are supply lines, to Russian positions between Davidi Brid and Velika Oleksandrivka. There was significant chatter in the Russian millblogger community that Ukraine was setting conditions for a fresh advance due to, quote, improving weather. We continue to be amazed at how Russian Federation military doctrine doesn't understand the need for operational pauses, troop rotations, and shaping operations beyond firing artillery into an area until it is dust. The Ukrainian Air Force flew 13 missions, and ground forces completed 285 fire missions on Russian targets. OCS claims a Russian Su-24 was shot down, but did not provide any evidence to support the claim. An ammunition depot and barracks were hit by rockets fired by HIMARS in Kholiapristan. The town has become a staging area for Russian equipment and personnel waiting to take ferries or helicopters over the Dnipro. Ukrainian forces continue to target the T-403 highway, a vital G-lock that runs along the west bank of the Dnipro. Today's strike on Duchani may be particularly devastating, destroying a warehouse holding food and military rations for Russian soldiers stationed east of the Inulets. The Russian stronghold in Krinchanko was also targeted. The dot on the map is south of the Inulets River bridgehead advance and one of the three settlements that are almost certainly part of Russia's second line of defense. Russian barracks in Kherson at the former school of sportsmanship were destroyed in a rocket attack fired by HIMARS. There wasn't any information on casualties. OCS reported that fire control was being maintained on the Kakhovka and Darivka bridges to prevent the repair of the first and the use of the latter. Power went out briefly in Kherson City and parts of the oblast on Wednesday afternoon. There was no reason given for the outage. Up to seven Kinzhal hypersonic missiles hit the Karachuniv Reservoir Dam on the Inulets River in the western part of Kriviri. The dam was badly damaged, with at least one of the spillways destroyed, causing the uncontrolled release of 26,500 gallons of water per second, that's enough to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools every minute. The river rose two meters above its average level immediately downstream, 
and will have to travel approximately 112 kilometers before the crest reaches Arkhangelsk. Local officials reported they've been able to drain the water out of the hydroelectrical station and relieve the pressure on the damaged dam by intentionally blasting two holes through it. The intentional damage was done to redirect the water flow to a low area and increase the reservoir capacity. The impact on the battlefield is unknown, but for now, Ukrainian military leaders don't appear to be making adjustments. It's important to note that water does not care about Ukrainian pontoon bridges in northern Kherson or Russian bridges further south. Disruption of G-locks for both belligerents will be measured in hours or days, though, not weeks, and will come at different times as the water flows to the Dnipro. The city of Mykolaiv was hit by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. There wasn't information on damage or casualties at the time of recording. Russian missiles also hit Chornomorka and Ochakiv on the Black Sea coast. There wasn't information available about Chornomorka, but the missiles in Ochakiv landed in unpopulated coastal areas. Our assessment for the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. You'll find it in the first seven minutes of Sunday's episode. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. The Russian Ministry of Defense falsely accused Ukraine of shelling an Erkhodar and the plant facility. On Tuesday, International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi reported that shelling of the plant and the immediate area had not occurred in days. The Russian state media claimed that Ukraine made a third attempt to storm the ZNPP with troops on a barge, slowly crossing the Dnipro in broad daylight, was debunked. The, quote, barge, shown in the video, was a World War II bridge support built by Nazi Germany between 1943 and 1944. As one internet user put it, quote, Russian troops are begging for air support in Kherson, and Russian attack helicopters are firing on Nazi pillars in the middle of the Dnipro for a propaganda victory. End quote. Some assessment here. It is noteworthy that some Russian mill bloggers and social media influencers immediately condemned the Russia Today report as a fake, even before geolocation was completed proving it. The Kremlin is struggling to maintain the everything-is-going-to-plan narrative in this special military operation. At the time of recording, there were reports of explosions in Nikopol and Marchanets, but we don't have additional details. In Kriviri, water levels were falling in the Inuletsky and Centralnomiskai districts due to the Russian dam attack. Damage from another missile strike was discovered, which destroyed a water main, cutting service to 5,000 homes. The flooding impact was limited to 112 private residences, and there were no fatalities. Pictures from residents show mostly street flooding close to the banks and wetlands of the Inulets. Kriviri's mayor, Oleksandr Vilkul, asked residents not to panic with the water service in the city disabled, saying, quote, Those bastards struck one of the hydrotechnical infrastructure facilities in the city. We understand what to do. The water supply has started already. If you still do not have water, you will soon. End quote. Two more missiles landed on the outskirts of Zaporizhia city, with no reports of significant damage or injuries. 
Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. Pro-Russian accounts reported there was positional fighting around Nesteryanka and claimed Russian forces captured 7 to 10 Ukrainian soldiers. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapole to Orkhiv to Mali-Sherbaki. Rumors of an impending Ukrainian counteroffensive toward Tokmak Melitopol continued to swirl in the Russian internet sphere. West of Donetsk, ground fighting had reached its lowest level since July 22nd, with only minor positional battles southeast of Vodyana and a 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, attempt to advance on Novomikhailivka. The DNR militia did not report any fighting and only released a single video of one artillery piece firing. Pro-Russian accounts didn't mention Donetsk. A video released by the Ukrainian armed forces showed fighting that happened earlier in the week in Novoselivka Druha. The video confirmed that the DNR 1st Army Corps was pushed back from the H-20 highway, and the town has become a no-man's land due to Ukrainian artillery fire. Russian sources reported that positions east of Novoselivka were under heavy artillery attack from Ukrainian positions in Krasnohorivka. Artillery, rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and indirect tank fire were exchanged from New York to Donetsk to Vuledar to Velika Novosilka. Ukraine appears to have dramatically stepped up targeting troop concentrations and other targets of opportunity in Russian-occupied Donetsk, a troop concentration in Deboltsev was destroyed in what was likely a HIMARS attack. Additionally, counter-battery destroyed a Russian artillery position in the Petrovsky district of Donetsk City. HIMARS also struck another building used as barracks north of Donetsk City in Horlivka. In Bakhmut, it's repeating the same report time, so let's get through this together. There was positional fighting outside of Solidar with no change in the line of conflict. Russian forces led by the private military company or PMC Wagner Group did not achieve the incredible victory in Bakhmut they claimed to have made yesterday. PMC Wagner remained in positions east of the highway and spent the day reconstituting their forces. Russian artillery hammered Yakovlivka, Solidar, Bakhmutska, and Bakhmut. Wagner also continued their attempts to advance into Mikolaevka Druha and Odradivka without success. Fun fact, Wagner fighters get a bonus for every square kilometer they capture. It is, however, unclear if they have to pay back that bonus money for each kilometer lost. Kadyrovites with the 141st Akhmat continued to miss their days of TikTok fame, safely behind the line of conflict making pretend combat videos. They renewed fighting for Zaitseve, that's the Zaitseve south of Bakhmut, and for control of the Mayorsk train station. The situation, however, remains unchanged. The sharp reduction in ground fighting may have been caused by a HIMARS strike in Svitlodarsk, which destroyed the Wagner headquarters. Additionally, Ukraine targeted an ammo depot in Vozdvezhenka, east of Svitlodarsk. A short video recorded the sound of small arms ammunition cooking off. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian troops on the Bakhmut front are complaining about supply issues for grad rockets for MLRS and certain caliber artillery shells. 
He also reported that the Russian 137th Parachute Regiment of the VDV was combat-destroyed in the Bakhmut direction. A quick sidebar here. Combat-destroyed means the unit has lost more than 50% of its combat power and is incapable of fighting or holding defensive positions. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 25th. To recap, the advance toward Bakhmut has been the most successful offensive for Russia since the Russian Ministry of Defense ended the 11-day operational pause on July 16th. Ukraine retreated from Svetlodarsk on May 24th and successfully defended the Vulkhiriska thermal power plant through July 26th. Since capturing the plant, Russian proxy forces, mainly PMC Wagner groups supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion and Kadyrovites of the 141st Special Motorized Regiment, have advanced seven whole kilometers. It took Russian forces 90 days, accounting for terrain, to advance 12 kilometers from Svetlodarsk. The advance to capture Bakhmut has likely reached its culmination point, with Russian combat power exhausted in the region. Before the arrival of HIMARS and improved GLOC interdiction, Russian military leaders would saturate the region with artillery and rocket fire and win an attritional battle. Due to excessive use and deferred maintenance, Russian artillery systems are wearing out. Ammunition supplies are becoming an issue theater-wide, although the issue is relative. Even at 40% of the peak daily fire rate in late June, the quantity of artillery fired remains significant and greater than Ukraine's capabilities. A key difference from late June is that Russian artillery firepower is no longer concentrated on a single axis, such as Luhansk. According to data analysis by Ragnar Gudmundsson, the number of settlements targeted by Russian artillery increased from 50 on June 26th to almost 100 on August 12th. So that's fewer artillery pieces, fewer shells, spread over a larger area. Russian forces could capture Bakhmut and Solidar before the arrival of Rasputitsa, also known as mud season, but it would require reallocating artillery pieces and military units from other axes. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, Russian forces continue to control Lehman, and it appears that Ukrainian forces will be content to wait for the Russian garrison to become fully encircled or leave once the situation becomes untenable. Wargonzo has not issued any update, and it's unclear if their team is still in the city. We simply don't know if there is any fighting within Lehman or the forested areas around it. Russian artillery positions in Yatskivka, which were supporting Lehman's defense, came under Ukrainian counter-battery fire and were destroyed. Fighting continued for control of Spirna along the T-1302 highway. The Russian Air Force bombed Ukrainian positions in the already bomb-blasted village with a landscape that resembles 1916 France. A video was released showing the remains of a Russian platoon that had surrendered in the Luhansk area. We could not geolocate the video, and the unit didn't have the insignia of the 141st Akhmat, so we do not believe that these were the Russian forces allegedly surrounded in Spirna. Governor Haidai reported that Milohorivka in Luhansk was under the complete control of the Ukrainian armed forces. To make things more complicated, both Bilohorivkas were shelled by Russian forces, with the second one located on the T-1302 highway near Spirna. 
Units from the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, reoccupied Kremina, with Ivan Filiponenko, LNR militia spokesman, making a statement by Lyceum No. 2. The location of the LNR troops was easily geolocated because they don't understand OPSEC. That's operational security. Quick sidebar, a lyceum is a specialty school, typically for things like music, sports, arts, etc. Russian forces have also moved back into Svatov and Troitske and are rebuilding defenses. Both towns are on the P-66 highway, so it appears Russia is attempting to establish a new G-lock in the Luhansk Oblast to stabilize the situation. GSAFU reported that Russia was moving its air defense units further east, and in some cases, entirely out of Luhansk to protect them from Ukrainian attacks. Governor Haidai reported that the Ukrainian Air Force attacked 12 targets in northeast Donetsk and Luhansk region, indicating growing air dominance. Ukraine attacked a school facility in Russian-occupied Padovalsk, which may have been a barracks. Local officials claim it was not a military target and said one child was killed and six more wounded. However, a moderately graphic video released by the Luhansk People's Republic, the LNR, showed one person being rescued by uniformed soldiers. The wounded, quote, child, was clad only in underwear, appeared to be a late teen or young adult, had a cigarette dangling from their mouth, and had a military-style haircut. In the city of Luhansk, soldiers with the LNR, who had recently returned from fighting in Balaklia Kharkiv, were told they would be sent to the front lines in Donetsk without time to rest or reconstitute. The units refused to be deployed, with family members joining them in protest. Military officials reportedly threatened to send them to the front unarmed, because that kind of threat apparently creates loyalty and trust in conscripts in some parallel universe. Assessment here. We maintain the Russian occupation of most of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing with the fall of the Izum Axis and Ukrainian troops actively operating across the Seversky Donetsk River. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, Russia shelled the border villages of Vaisuka Yarucha, Hoptivka, and Neskuchne which 72 hours ago were in the loving arms of Mother Russia because Ukraine and Russia are one. At least, that's what Russia once claimed. The eastern part of Kupyansk was also shelled. Punitive missile attacks struck the Kievsky district of Kharkiv. Private homes were damaged, but there were no reports of fatalities. The Ukrainian flag was raised in Pidvaisuk, north of the Khorokhovatka borova Bridge. The Borova City Council reported that large areas east of the Oskil River are a gray zone. During the fight to liberate the Kharkiv Oblast, the village of Khorokhovatka was significantly damaged and one civilian was killed. The already partially destroyed bridge over the Oskil suffered more damage. Russian troops clinging to the eastern edge of the former Izum Axis are under fire control from Ukrainian artillery which destroyed multiple armored vehicles in Yarova, Novoselivka, and Derelova. 
Ukrainian officials reported they now control 94% of the Kharkiv Oblast and liberated more than 400 settlements in less than a week. The count of destroyed Russian military hardware continues to skyrocket. As much as 10% of all Russian equipment losses since February 24th occurred during the week of the Kharkiv counteroffensive. Ukrainian forces continue to secure abandoned military vehicles and truly massive ammunition caches. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, OSC reported that Russia now has five large landing ships at sea with unknown and, quote, unreasonable motivations. The Black Sea fleet was neutralized after the fall of Snake Island at the end of June. There are currently 10 additional vessels at sea, but they are staying out of the range of NATO-provided Harpoon missiles. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. In the Stavropol territory of Russia, a Kinzhal hypersonic missile crashed in an open field. The Russian missile can travel above Mach 5 and was likely fired toward Ukraine. The reason for the failure is unknown, but there was a partial detonation after first responders arrived, injuring six firefighters. The situation in Armenia continues to degrade. Azerbaijan forces continued to advance while Armenians stormed the parliament building in protest. The Russian Federation denied Armenia's Article 4 request under the CSTO Pact. Article 4 is similar to NATO's Article 5, loosely defined as an attack on one is an attack on all. The Kremlin would only commit to sending military observers. There was an unconfirmed report that members of the Russian 102nd, stationed as peacekeepers, came under fire and had to withdraw from one of their bases. A four-and-a-half-minute video emerged of oligarch and close Putin ally Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of PMC Wagner, recruiting Russian prison convicts to fight in Ukraine. He explained they would only take people who were 22 to 50 and that they were committing to a fight to the death. The reports that the Russian Ministry of Defense was gutting the ranks of their strategic missile forces were accurate. A group of prisoners of war was among 32, quote, volunteers of the 42nd Rocket Division of the Russian Strategic Rocket Forces in Nizhny Tagil. They were stationed on the front lines in Sulhivka and abandoned during the retreat. They claimed some locals took pity on them, let them stay for the night, and convinced them to surrender in Izum. A video showed a column of Chechen fighters staged in an unknown location in eastern Ukraine. It is likely an older vehicle as Russia is moving away from the Z invasion marking. A military convoy isn't unusual in a war zone. A military convoy of fresh troops being moved in consumer pickup trucks, SUVs, and technicals from the second largest military on the planet, however, is. Germany has donated four more Gepard anti-aircraft systems, reportedly instrumental in the Kharkiv counteroffensive. The retired Gepard uses autocannons with a range of up to six kilometers, but were specifically designed to shoot down low-flying aircraft attempting to evade manpads and radar. There are reports that Germany is rethinking the Gepard retirement after observing modern Russian aviation tactics and the battlefield's success against Generation 4 and 4.5 fighter aircraft. 
After returning from the edge of the war zone in Izum, President Zelensky was in a minor car accident in Kyiv. Zelensky was uninjured, and there is no indication or evidence at this time that the incident was more than an accident. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, and if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The bodies of two people executed in the final hours of Russian control over Balaklia were exhumed. War crimes investigators documented the scene. Officials have confirmed at least one person died in the Balaklia torture chamber set up by Russian forces. The Russians had set up cameras to record the holding cells and torture rooms. They left in such a rush that they didn't bother to take the digital information or wipe the records. Serhii Bolvinov, chief of the investigative department of the police of Kharkiv Oblast, said, quote, During the inspection of the building, we discovered wires leading to hidden video cameras in the rooms where the hostages were kept. People, including women, had to sleep on the floor, and during interrogations they were tortured with electric currents. Currently we have one confirmed death of a person as a result of torture. We know the profile data of the victim and the place of the burial, so we will carry out an exhumation for further procedural actions. End quote. In a speech at the central square of Izum, President Zelensky said that investigators were discovering atrocities as evil as Bucha. There is an unconfirmed report that the mutilated bodies of six Ukrainian soldiers were discovered in Bohorodichne and that civilians were executed in the village that was once home to 750 people. Today, only two people remain a 58-year-old man and his 92-year-old mother, who refused to leave the village. Mikola Honchar's younger brother was killed during an artillery barrage, and Honchar was forced to bury his kin in a shallow grave. An artillery shell landed near a kindergarten in Russia-occupied Dokukaivsk in the Donetsk Oblast. The facade of the building was damaged and windows were broken, but there were no injuries. Video from the scene showed that the area of the building hit was in the middle of a renovation and not in use. In Viskupilia, a returning farmer made a gruesome discovery. As Russian forces retreated, they killed his entire herd of milking cows and steers. Viewer discretion is advised for this video. And like all of the videos we mention, we link them in our full situation report on Patreon. And now for some geopolitical news. In another blow to the Russian Federation's influence on the global stage, China and Kazakhstan vowed to promote cooperation with each other. After meeting President Kasim Yamar Takayev in Kazakhstan's capital, Chinese President Xi Jinping made it clear that Beijing would not tolerate any encroachments on Kazakhstan's territory, saying in remarks quoted in Russian in Takayev's office's readout of the meeting, Quote, I would like to assure you that the government of China pays huge attention to relations with Kazakhstan. However, the international situation changes. Going forward, we will also resolutely support Kazakhstan in the defense of its independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity. End quote. Kazakhstan is a CSTO member, 
and the statement came just hours after the Kremlin declined to aid Armenia. Rumors that Kazakhstan would leave the CSTO in 2023 were just that. Rumors. European Union Commissioner Chief Ursula von der Leyen arrived in Kyiv to discuss with President Zelensky how to continue to integrate the Ukrainian economy into the EU and continue to work to lead Ukraine into full membership of the economic bloc. Speaking of the economy, the ruble became volatile over the last week, with the exchange rate moving between 60 and 65 rubles for one U.S. dollar. The exchange rate settled at 60. Oil prices have been in decline globally as the chances of Western Europeans freezing during the winter months have disappeared. WTI crude was trading at $88 a barrel, while Brent was at $96. RBOB Wholesale United States gasoline on the spot market was $2.51 a gallon, or $0.66 a liter. A quick omissions and errors. A reader informed us we have been misreporting the price of wheat futures since we started reporting the price of wheat futures. We had a decimal point in the wrong place, requiring those cents to become dollars. We sincerely appreciate our reader and listener feedback, and if you ever think we missed something or got something wrong, you can send an email to tips at malcontentment.com. Chicago SRW wheat futures were trading at $8.65 a bushel, rising a dollar since August 19th. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.